0: book one, chapter 5 of the fatal Three by mary elizabeth braddon this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter 5 without the wolf father said lola there are ever so many people in the village ill with fever isn't it sad mr and mrs greswold of enderby manor had been submitting to a fortnight's dissipation in london and this was their first sunday at home after that interval They had returned on the previous night and house and gardens had all the sweetness and freshness of a scene to which one is restored after absence they had spent the summer morning in the little village church with their daughter and now they were enjoying the leisure interval between church and luncheon george greswold sat in a lounging chair under a cedar within twenty yards of the dining-room windows and lola was hanging about him as he read the athenaeum caressing him with little touches of light hands upon his hair or his coat-collar adoring him with all her might after the agony of severance she was his only child and the love between them was passing the love of the father and daughter of everyday life it was an almost romantic attachment like most only daughters lola was precocious far in advance of her years in thoughtfulness and emotion though perhaps a little behind the average girl of twelve in the severities of feminine education she had been her mother's chief companion ever since she could speak the confidant of all that mother's thoughts and fancies which were as innocent as those of childhood itself she had read much more than most girls of her age and had been made familiar with poets whose names are only known to the schoolgirl in a history of literature she knew a good deal about the best books in european literature but most of all she knew the hearts and minds of her father and mother their loves and likings their joys and sorrows she had never been shut out from their confidence she had never been told to go and play when they wanted to talk to each other she had sat with them and walked and ridden and driven with them ever since she was old enough to dispense with her nurse's arms she had lived her young life with them and had been a part of their lives george greswold looked up from his athenium in quick alarm fever he exclaimed fever at Enderby. strange isn't it father everybody is wondering about it enderby has always been such a healthy village and you have taken such pains to make it so yes love i have done my best i am a landlord for pleasure and not for gain as you and mother know and what seems strangest and worst of all continued lola is that this dreadful fever has broken out among the people you and mother and i are fondest of our old friends and pensioners and the children we know most about it seems so hard that those you and mother have helped the most should be the first to be ill yes love that must seem very hard to my tender-hearted darling her father looked up at her fondly as she stood behind his chair her white arm leaning upon his shoulder the summer was in its zenith it was strawberry time rose time haymaking time the season of nightingales and meadow-sweet and tall merry lilies and all those lovely things that cluster in the core of summer's great warm heart Lola was all in white, a loose muslin frock, straight from shoulder to instep. Her thick gold hair fell straight as her frock below her ungirdled waist, and in her white and gold she had the look of an angel in an early Italian picture. Her eyes were as blue as that cloudless sky of midsummer, which took a deeper azure behind the black green branches of the cedar. My pet, I take it this fever is some slight summer malady. Cottagers are such ravens. They always make the worst of an illness. Oh, but they really have been very bad. Mary Martin has had the fever, but she is getting better. And there's Johnny Giles, you know what a strong boy he is. He's very bad, poor little chap, so delirious. And I do feel so sorry for his poor mother. And young Mrs. Peter has it, and two of her children. It must be contagious, cried Greswold, seizing his daughter's round white arm with an agitated movement. You have not been to see any of them, have you, Lola? he asked looking at her with unspeakable anxiety no bell wouldn't let me go to see any of them but of course i have taken them things every day wine and beef-tea and jelly and everything we could think of and they have had as much milk as they liked you should not have gone yourself with the things darling you should have sent them that would seem so unkind as if one hardly cared and puck with nothing to do all the time but to drag me about it was no trouble to go myself i did not even go inside the cottages bell said i mustn't bell was right well i suppose there is no harm done if you didn't go into any of the cottages and it was very sweet of you to take the things yourself like red riding hood only without the wolf there goes the gong i hope you are hungry not very the weather is too warm for eating anything but strawberries He looked at her anxiously again, ready to take alarm at a word. "'Yes, it is too warm in this southwestern country,' he said nervously. "'We'll go to Scotland next week.' "'So soon?' "'Why not a little sooner than usual, for once in a way?' "'I shall be sorry to go away while the people are ill,' she said gravely. George Greswold forgot that the gong had sounded. He sat, leaning forward in a despondent attitude." the very mention of sickness in the land had unhinged him this child was so dear to him his only one he had done all that forethought sense and science could do to make the village which lay at his doors the perfection of health and purity famous sanitarians had been entertained at the manor and had held counsel with mr greswold upon the progress of sanitation and its latest developments they had wondered with him over the blind ignorance of our forefathers they had instructed him how to drain his house and how to ventilate and purify his cottages they had assured him that so far as lay within the limits of human intelligence perfection had been achieved in enderby village and enderby manor house and now his idolized daughter hung over his chair and told him that there was a fever raging in the land his land the land which he loved as if it were a living thing and on which he had lavished care and money ever since he had owned it other men might consider their ancestral estates as something to be lived upon george greswold thought of his forefather's house and lands as something to be lived for his cottages were model cottages and he was known far and wide as a model landlord george are you quite forgetting luncheon asked a voice from one of the open windows and he looked up to see a beautiful face looking down at him framed in hair of lola's colour my dear mildred come here for a moment he said and his wife went to him smiling still but with a shade of uneasiness in her face go in bet we'll follow you directly he said to his daughter and then he rose slowly with an air of being almost broken down by a great trouble and put his hand through his wife's arm and led her along the velvet turf beyond the cedar mildred have you heard of this fever yes louisa told me this morning when she was doing my hair it seems to be rather bad But there cannot be any danger, surely, after all you have done to make the cottages perfect in every way. One cannot tell. There may be a germ of evil brought from somewhere else. I am sorry Lola has been among the people. Oh, but she has not been inside any of the cottages. Belle took care to prevent that. Belle was wise, but she might have done better still. She should have telegraphed to us. Lola must not go about any more. You will see to that, won't you, dearest?' "'Before the end of the week, I shall take you both to Scotland.' "'Do you really suppose there can be danger?' she asked, growing very pale. "'No, no, I don't apprehend danger. "'Only it is better to be over-cautious than over-bold. "'We cannot be too careful of our treasure.' "'No, no, indeed,' answered the mother, with a piteous look. "'Mother,' called Lola from the window, "'are you ever coming? Pomfret will be late for church.' pomfret was the butler whose convenience had to be studied upon sundays the servants dined while the family were at luncheon and almost all the establishment went to afternoon service leaving a footman and an under-housemaid in sole possession of the grave old manor-house where the silence had a solemnity as in some monastic chapel lola was anxious that luncheon should begin and pomfret be dismissed to eat his dinner this child of twelve had more than a woman's forethought she spent her life in thinking about other people but of all those whom she loved and for whom she cared her father was first and chief for him her love was akin to worship she watched his face anxiously now as she took her seat at his right hand and was silent until pomfret had served the soup and retired leaving all the rest of the luncheon on the table and the wine on a dumb waiter by his master's side there was always a cold lunch on sundays and the evening meal was also cold a compromise between dinner and supper served at nine o'clock by which time the servants had gratified their various tastes for church or chapel and had enjoyed an evening walk there was no parsonage in england where the day of rest was held in more reverence than it was at enderby manor mr greswold was no bigot his religion in no wise savoured of the over-good school but he was a man of deep religious convictions and he had been brought up to honour sunday as a day set apart the sunday parties and sunday amusements of fashionable london were an abomination to him though he was far too liberal-minded to wish to shut museums and picture galleries against the people father said lola when they were alone i'm afraid you had your bad dream last night greswold looked at her curiously no love my dreams were colourless and have left not even a remembrance and yet you look sorrowful just as you always look after your bad dream your father is anxious about the cottages who are ill dearest said mrs greswold that is all but you must not be unhappy about them father dear you don't think that any of them will die do you asked lola drawing very near him and looking up at him with awe-stricken eyes indeed my love i hope not they shall not die if care can save them i will walk around the village with porter this afternoon and find out all about the trouble if there is anything that he cannot understand we'll have dr hutchinson over from southampton or a physician from london if necessary my people shall not be neglected may i go with you this afternoon father no dearest neither you nor mother must leave the grounds till we go away i will have no needless risk run by my dear ones neither mother nor daughter disputed his will upon this point he was the sole arbiter of their lives it seemed almost as if they lived only to please him both would have liked to go with him both thought him over cautious yet neither attempted to argue the point happy household in which there are no arguments upon domestic trifles no bickerings about the infinitesimals of life enderby manor was one of those ideal homes which adorn the face of england and sustain its reputation as the native soil of domestic virtues the country in which good wives and good mothers are indigenous There are many such ideal homes in the land as to outward aspect, seen from the high road, across park or pasture, shrubbery or flower garden. But only a few of these sustain the idea upon intimate knowledge of the interior. Here, within as well as without, the atmosphere was peace. Those velvet lawns and brilliant flower beds were not more perfect than the love between husband and wife, child and parents. No cloud had ever shadowed that serene heaven of domestic peace george greswold had married at thirty a girl of eighteen who adored him and those two had lived for each other and for their only child ever since all outside the narrow circle of family love counted only as the margin or the framework of life all the deepest and sweetest elements of life were within the veil mildred greswold could not conceive a fashionable woman's existence a life given up to frivolous occupations and futile excitements a life of empty pleasure faintly flavoured with art literature science philanthropy and politics and fancying itself eminently useful and eminently progressive she had seen such an existence in her childhood and had wondered that any reasoning creature could so live she had turned her back upon the maudish world when she married george greswold and had surrendered most of the delights of society to lead quiet days in her husband's ancestral home loving that old house for his sake as he loved it for the sake of the dead they were not in outer darkness however as to the movement of the world they spent a fortnight at limmer's occasionally when the fancy moved them they saw all the pictures worth seeing heard a good deal of the best music mixed just enough in society to distinguish gold from tinsel and to make a happy choice of friends they occasionally treated themselves to a week in paris and their autumn holidays were mostly spent in a shooting-box twenty miles beyond inverness they came back to the manor in time for the pheasant shooting and the new year generally began with a house party which lasted with variations until the hunting was all over and the young leaves were green in the neighbouring forest no lives could have been happier or fuller of interest but the interest all centred in home farmers and cottagers on the estate were cared for as a part of home and the estate itself was loved almost as a living thing by husband and wife And the fair child who had been born to them in the old-fashioned house. The grave red-brick manor-house had been built when William the third was king, and there were some Dutch innovations in the old English architecture, notably a turret or pavilion at the end of each wing and a long bowling green on the western side of the garden. The walls had that deep glowing red which is only seen in old brickwork, and the black glazed tiles upon the hopper roof glittered in the sunlight with the prismatic hues of antique rhodian glass. The chief characteristic of the interior was the oak panelling, which clothed the rooms and corridors as in a garment of sober brown, and would have been suggestive of gloom but for the pictures and porcelain which brightened every wall, and the rich colouring of brocaded curtains and tapestry portieres. The chief charm of the house was the aspect of home life, the books and musical instruments, the art treasures and flowers, and domestic trifles to be seen everywhere the air which every room and every nook and corner had of being lived in by home-loving and home-keeping people the pavilion at the end of the southwest wing was lola's special domain that in the room communicating with it that pretty sitting-room with dwarf bookshelves watercolour pictures and wedgwood china was never called a schoolroom it was lola's study there shall be no suggestion of school in our home said george greswold It was he who chose his daughters' masters, and it was often he who attended during the lessons, listening intently to the progress of the work, and as keenly interested in the pupil's progress as the pupil herself. Latin he himself taught her, and she already knew by heart those noblest of Horace's odes, which are fittest for young lips. Their philosophy saddened her a little. Is life always changing? she asked her father. Must one never venture to be quite happy? The Latin poet's pervading idea of mutability, inevitable death, and inevitable change impressed her with a flavour of sadness, child as she was. My dearest, had Horace been a Christian as you are, and had he lived for others as you do, he would not have been afraid to call himself happy, answered George Greswold. He was a pagan, and he put on the armour of philosophy for want of the armour of faith these lessons in the classics taking a dead language not as a dry study of grammar and dictionary but as the gate to new worlds of poetry and philosophy had been lola's delight she was in no wise unpleasantly precocious but she was far in advance of the conventional schoolroom child trained into characterless uniformity by a superior governess lola had never been under governess rule her life at the manor had been as free as that of the butterflies there was only Bell to lecture her white-haired mrs bell thin and spare straight as an arrow at seventy-four years of age the embodiment of servants hall gentility in her black silk afternoon gown and neat cambric cap bell who looked after lola's health and lola's rooms and was forever tidying the drawers and tables and lecturing upon the degeneracy of girlhood it was her boast to have nursed lola's grandmother as well as lola's mother which seemed going back to the remoteness of the dark ages enderby manor was three miles from romsey and within riding or driving distance of the new forest and of salisbury cathedral it lay in the heart of a pastoral district watered by the test and was altogether one of the most enjoyable estates in that part of the country before luncheon was finished a messenger was on his way to the village to summon mr porter more commonly dr porter the parish and everybody's doctor an elderly man of burly figure close-cropped gray hair and a yeoman-like bearing a man born on the soil whose father and grandfather and great-grandfather had cured or killed the inhabitants of enderby parish from time immemorial judging from the tombstones in the pretty old churchyard they must have cured more than they killed for those crumbling moss-grown stones bore the record of patriarchal lives and the union near enderby was a museum of incipient centenarians mr porter came into the grave old library at the manor looking more serious than his wont perhaps in sympathy with george greswold's anxious face turned towards the door as the footman opened it well porter what does it all mean this fever asked greswold abruptly mr porter had a manner of discussing a case which was all his own he always appealed to his patient with a professional air as if consulting another medical authority and a higher one than himself it was flattering perhaps but not always satisfactory well you see there's the high temperature one hundred four in some cases and there's the inflamed throat and there's headache what do you say don't talk nonsense porter you must know whether it is an infectious fever or not if you don't know we'll send to southampton for hutchinson of course you can have him if you like i judge more by temperature than anything the thermometer is a safer guide than the pulse as you know i took their temperatures this morning before i went to church only one case in which there was improvement all the others decidedly worse very strongly developed cases of malignant fever typhus or typhoid which as you know by jenner's differentiation of the two forms for god's sake man don't talk to me as if i were a doctor and had your ghoulish relish of disease if you have the slightest doubt as to treatment send for hutchinson He took a sheaf of telegraph forms from the stand in front of him, and began to write his message while he was talking. He had made up his mind that Dr. Hutchinson must come to see these humble sufferers, and to investigate the cause of evil. He had taken such pains to create a healthy settlement, had spared no expense, and for fifteen years from the hour of his succession until now, all had gone well with him. And now there was fever in the land— fever in the air breathed by those two beloved ones daughter and wife i have been so happy my life has been cloudless save for one dark memory he said to himself covering his face with his hands as he leaned with his elbows on the table while mr porter expatiated upon the cases in the village and on fever in general i have tested the water in all the wells perfectly pure there can be nothing amiss with the milk for all my patients are on mrs greswold's list And are getting their milk from your own dairy the drainage is perfection yet here we have an outbreak of fever which looks remarkably like typhoid why not say at once that it is typhoid the symptoms all point that way you say there can be nothing amiss with the milk you have not analysed it i suppose why should i out of your own dairy where everything is managed in the very best way the perfection of cleanliness in every detail you ought to have analyzed the milk all the same said greswold thoughtfully the strength of a chain is its weakest link there may be some weak link here though we cannot put our fingers upon it yet are there many cases let me see there's johnny giles and mrs peter and her children and janet dawson and there's andrew rogers and there's mary rainbow began mr porter counting on his fingers as he went on until the list of sufferers came to eleven mostly youngsters he said in conclusion they ought to have been isolated said greswold i will get out plans for an infirmary to-morrow there is the willow field on the other side of the village a ridge of high ground sloping down towards the parish drain with a southern exposure a capital site for a hospital it is dreadful to think of fever poisons spreading from half a dozen different cottages which was the first case little rainbow that fair-haired child whom i used to see from my dressing-room window every morning as she went away from the dairy tottering under a pitcher of milk poor little polly she was a favourite with us all is she very ill yes i think hers is about the best case answered the doctor unctuously the others are a little vague but there's no doubt about her all the symptoms strongly marked a very clear case is there any danger of a fatal termination i'm afraid there is poor little polly poor pretty little girl i used to know it was seven o'clock when i saw that bright little flaxen head flit by the yew hedge yonder polly was as good a timekeeper as any clog in the village and you think she may die you have not told lola i hope no i have not let out anything about danger Lola is only too anxious already. I will put the infirmary in hand tomorrow, and I will take my wife and daughter to Scotland on Tuesday. Upon my word, it will be a very good thing to get them away. These fever cases are so mysterious. There's no knowing what shape infection may take. I have the strongest belief in your system of drainage. Nothing is perfect, said Greswold impatiently the science of sanitation is still in its infancy i sometimes think we have not advanced very far from the knowledge of our ancestors whose homes were desolated by the black death however don't let us talk porter let us act if we can come and look at the dairy you don't apprehend evil there there are three sources of typhoid poison drainage water milk you say the drains in the water are good and that the milk comes from my own dairy if you are right as to the first and second the third must be wrong no matter whose dairy it may come from he took up his hat and went out of the house with the doctor gardens and shrubberies stretched before them in all the luxuriance of summer verdure gardens and shrubberies which had been the delight and pride of many generations of greswolds but loved more dearly by none than by george greswold and his wife In Mildred's mind, the old family house was a part of her husband's individuality, an attribute rather than a mere possession. Every tree and every shrub was sacred. These, his mother's own hands had cropped and tended. Those, grandfathers and great-grandfathers and arrière great-grandfathers had planted in epoch's that distance has made romantic. On the right of the hall door, a broad gravel path led in a serpentine sweep towards the stables a long low building spread over a considerable area and hidden by shrubberies the dairy was a little further off approached by a winding walk through thickets of laurel and arbutus it had been originally a barn and was used as a receptacle for all manner of -of out-of-door lumber when mildred came to the manor she had converted the old stone building into a model dairy with outside gallery and staircase of solid woodwork and with a swiss roof other buildings had been added there were low cow-houses and tall pigeon-houses and a picturesque variety of gables and elevations which was delightful to the eye seen on a summer afternoon such as this june sunday amidst the perfume of clove carnations and old english roses and the cooing of doves mrs greswold's channel island cows were her delight creatures with cream-coloured coats black noses and wistful brown eyes scarcely a day passed on which she did not waste an hour or so in the cow-houses or in the meadows caressing these favourites each cow had her name painted in blue and white above her stall and the chief or duchess of the herd was very severe in the maintenance of cow-house precedents and knew how to resent the insolence of a newcomer who should presume to cross the threshold in advance of her the dairy itself had a solemn and shadowy air like a shrine and was as pretty as the dairy at frogmore the walls were lined with minton tiles the shallow milk pans were of dalton pottery and quaintly shaped pitchers of bright colours were ranged on china brackets along the walls the windows were latticed and a pane of ruby rose or amethyst appeared here and there among the old bottle green glass and cast a patch of coloured light upon the cool marble slab below the chief dairywoman lived at an old-fashioned cottage on the premises with her husband the cowkeeper and their garden which lay at the back of the cow-houses and dairy was the ideal old english garden in which flowers and fruits strive for the mastery in a corner of this garden close to the outer offices of the cottage among rows of peas and summer cabbages and great overgrown lavender bushes and moss roses stood the old well with its crumbling brick border and ancient spindle a well that had been dug when the old manor house was new there were other water arrangements for mrs greswold's dairy a new artesian well on a hill a quarter of a mile from the kitchen garden a well that went deep down into the chalk and was famous for the purity of its water all the drinking-water of the house was supplied from this well and the water was laid on in iron pipes to dairy and cow-houses all the vessels used for milk or cream were washed in this water at least such were mr greswold's strict orders orders supposed to be carried out under the supervision of his bailiff and housekeeper mr porter looked at a reeking heap of stable manure that sprawled within twenty feet of the old well with suspicion in his eye and from the manure heap he looked at the back premises of the old cob-walled cottage i'm afraid there may have been soakage from that manure heap into the well he said and if your dairy vessels are washed in that water-but they never are interrupted mr greswold that water is used only for the garden eh mrs wadman the dairy woman was standing on the threshold of her neat little kitchen curtsying to her master resplendent in her sunday gown of bright blue merino and her sunday brooch containing her husband's photograph coloured out of knowledge no of course not sir leastways never except when there was something wrong with the pipes from the artesian something wrong when was that i never heard of anything wrong well sir my husband didn't want to be troublesome and mr thomas he gave the order for the men from romsey that was on the saturday after working hours and they was to come as it might be on the monday morning and they never come near and mr thomas he wrote and wrote and my husband he says it ain't no use writing and he takes the pony and rides over to romsey in his overtime and he complains about the men not coming and they tells him there's a big job on at broadlands and not a plumber to be had for love or money but the pipes is all right now sir now since when have they been in working order since yesterday sir mr thomas was determined he'd have everything aright before you came back and how long have you been using that water pointing to the well with its moss-grown brickwork and flaunting margin of yellow stone crop for dairy purposes well you see sir we was obliged to use water of some kind and there ain't purer better water than that for twenty mile round i always use it for my kettle every time i make tea for me or my master and never found no harm from it in the last fifteen years how long have you used it for the dairy repeated george greswold angrily can't you give me a straight answer woman mrs wadman could not had never achieved a direct reply to a plain question within the memory of man the men was to have come on the monday morning first thing she said and they didn't come till the tuesday week after that and then they was that slow george greswold walked up and down the garden path raging she won't answer he cried was it a week a fortnight three weeks ago that you began to use that water for your dairy he asked sternly and gradually he and the doctor induced her to acknowledge that the garden well had been in use for the dairy nearly three weeks before yesterday. "'Then that is enough to account for everything,' said Dr. Porter. First, there is filtration of manure through a gravelly soil, inevitable, and next there is something worse. She had her sister here from Salisbury six weeks ago, down with typhoid fever three days after she came, brought it from Salisbury.' yes yes i remember you told me there was no danger of infection there need have been none i made her use all precautions possible in an old-fashioned cottage but however careful she might be there would be always the risk of a well close at hand like that one getting tainted i asked her if she ever used that water for anything but the garden and she said no the artesian well supplied every want and now she talks about her kettle And tells us coolly that she has been using that polluted water for the last three weeks and poisoning a whole village. Me poisoning the village? Oh, Dr. Porter, how can you say such a cruel thing? Me that wouldn't hurt a fly if I knew it, perhaps not, Mrs. Wadman. But I'm afraid you've hurt a good many of your neighbours without knowing it. George Greswold stood in the pathway, silent and deadly pale he had been so happy for the last thirteen years a sky without a cloud and now in a moment the clouds were closing round him and again all might be darkness as it had been once before in his life calamity for which he felt himself unaccountable had come upon him before swift as an arrow from the bow and now again he stood helpless smitten by the hand of fate he thought of the little village child with her guileless face looking up at his window as she tripped by with her pitcher his dole of milk had been fatal to the simple souls who had looked up to him as a providence he had taken such pains that all should be sweet and wholesome in his people's cottages he had spent money like water and had lectured them and taught them and lo from his own luxurious home the evil had gone forth careless servants hushing up a difficulty loath to approach him with plain facts lest they should be considered troublesome had wrought this evil had spread disease and death in the land and his own and only child the delight of his life the apple of his eye that tainted milk had been served at her table amidst all that grace of porcelain and flowers the poison had lurked as at the cottager's board what if she too should suffer He meant to take her away in a day or two, now, now, when the cause of evil was at work no longer. The thought that it might be too late, that the germ of poison might lurk in the heart of that fair flower, filled him with despair. Mrs. Wadman had run into her cottage, shedding indignant tears at Dr. Porter's cruelty. She came out again with a triumphant air, carrying a tumbler of water. Just look at it, sir, she said, look how bright and clear it is there never was better water my good woman in this case brightness and clearness mean corruption said the doctor if you'll give me a pint of that water in a bottle i'll take it home with me and test it before i sleep to-night chapter five